Good evening. Excellent, we're all here. Um, I'm just going to pray before we start, if that's all right. Just, God, I want to thank you that you alone are worthy of our praise, God. And please just speak to us this evening. Open up our hearts and speak into where we are. It doesn't matter where we are, God, we know that you can meet with us. So please just come and meet with us this evening. In your name we praise things, God. Amen. So, have I got my first slide? Are we here? Where are you? Thank you, Ryan. You're a star. Okay, so when I get ready for talks, God often challenges me with a series of questions and stories. And the question that God really challenged me on was this question of where are you and where am I? Well, where am I? It looks like I'm on the set of Later with Jules Holland, but that's not what God was actually asking me. Quite a personal question. Where am I? Where are you? Is it a question that ever gets asked of you? Um, Think about it, it's quite a personal question, especially if you're the one map reading, um, because your answer is either I'm here or I've got absolutely no idea where I am. And um, growing up, I wish I got asked this question quite a lot, where are you? Um, And when God gave me this challenge, he also reminded me of something that happened when I was about 15 years old. Now, I feel like we're bonding, I feel like, you know, you need to get to know me a bit more, and I want to just share with you just a little secret. When I was 15, I was a scout. (laughs) Now, this isn't something which I'd tell many people. In fact, in my circle of friends, only about eight other people knew. Um, It was my dirty little secret. Being a scout didn't sort of fit into the lifestyle choices that I was making. But I kept going because it was fun. Now, not only was I a scout, but I was a patrol leader. Oh, yeah. A patrol leader of Eagles Patrol. And if, in case you don't believe me yet, we have a picture. There I am. <laughs> That's me, 15 years old, ready to take on the world. I had that hair for three years before anyone told me not to do it again. So as I tell you this story this morning, I want you to think of this version of me. This photograph was taken 10 days before the story that I'm about to tell you. And I look so fresh-faced, it's lovely. So can we get rid of it now? That's it, thanks, Ryan. Don't want that look. There we go. And so being the patrol leader of Eagles Patrol was supposed to be something that I was supposed to take seriously. It was quite a big responsibility. And yet it was a bit of a joke that I was the leader of Eagles Patrol because we were the joke patrol. If uh, somebody needed directions, we couldn't give them. If someone needed uh, a sporty team, we couldn't win. If someone needed a knot tied, we didn't know how to do it. And so actually, if anything, we were the patrol not to ask to do anything, go anywhere, or be useful in any way. We were the comedy patrol. And yet, our patrol had been invited to go on a scout trip to France to represent our scout troop and compete against other scout troops in the country. We said yes. (laughs) And this was taken, well, it was taken, that picture was taken on the day that we left. And it wasn't going well for Eagles Patrol out there in France. But ten days in, we were told that we had to do a 25-mile orienteering activity. And basically there was about seven different bases across an area of France that we had to go and walk, and you get points for arriving at your station on time, and you get points for completing the activity at your station, and you'd move on. And to be honest, for the first time in my life as a patrol leader, things were going really, really well. 
They were amazing. We were making stations on time. We were scoring points. We were completing challenges. It's like all of our dreams were coming true that summer. And we decided, if we're going to win, we're going to do it really well. And so we got to midday, and we were already ahead, and we looked at our map, and our next checkpoint was six miles away by road. And we thought, oh, this is going to take forever. So we looked at the map again. I say we, I mean I. And it looked like it was two miles if we just went through what looked like a little forest. It'd be fine. And so I explained this to my patrol, and we all said it'd be a great idea. And so we veered off the road, and we went into, well, we went to find the forest. Now, I say forest didn't really stipulate what size of a forest it was on the map. And I don't think the word forest did it justice. And to Eagle's Patrol, we were faced with a jungle, armed with nothing but a penknife and a backpack full of things that we didn't know how to use anyway. But I reassured them that there was a very clear path, and we went through the jungle. I held the map really closely. It's one of these things that you get quite precious about. Being a man and a map, you've got a connection. You know what I mean? And you think, I know where I'm going. And, but I'm trying to navigate my way through this jungle with this group of teenagers behind me. And very soon, one path became six. And then very soon, six paths became no paths at all. And we were just there hacking our way through with just our hands and whatever we could grab. It took us an hour to get across this jungle that was only supposed to be two miles deep. But we thought, you know what, it's taken us a bit longer. It's because it was getting a bit thick. And according to the map, if we went right at the end of the jungle, our next station would be just down the road. So we turned right and off we went. And literally, we were singing songs. This is how good we were feeling. We were confident. And we got down the road, and we turned the corner, and there was no one there. And so we thought, okay, maybe I've just done this a bit long. Maybe it's a bit further. And we kept plodding down this road, and it kept going downhill slowly. There were trees lined either side, and the guys kept asking me, do you know where you're going? Are we nearly there yet? And I would always just look at the map, appear to be studying it in my head, I'd have no idea what I was looking at, and go, yeah, yeah, it's just down the road, and we kept going. This went on for three hours. (laughs) And you look at your surroundings, and you think, I've got no idea, but I've got to give the guys some hope. And so... We looked down the road, and there was a very sharp bend. And I said, that's it. It's around that bend, and we're there. I literally put all my eggs into one basket. and went, it's there. And I went for broke, and I ran. I ran with everything I had in me down this hill, going, it's just around the corner. And the guys were running behind me. They were so excited. And you get around this corner, and what do you see? I would love to say that I saw our next station. But actually, what I saw, I wasn't even prepared for. I saw the edge of a mountain cliff face like that the road was a steep turn and there was just a cliff face right in front of me as if this wasn't panic enough for me you turn round the corner and you have a look at what's coming and there's about a hundred cyclists coming up the hill now I'm not exaggerating when I say a hundred because next to these hundred cyclists was three vehicles with video cameras on televising this cycling race what do you do when you're in that situation and you're stuck on a road and you don't know where you are in the middle of France with 100 cyclists coming towards you? I'd love to say I got out of the way. But the 15-year-old teenager in me said, this is not right and this is not fair. So I sat on the floor. I literally had a paddy, took my rucksack off, 
I threw it on the floor and I sat next to it. These cyclists were still coming closer. My patrol started to panic. They tried to get me up. They're like, what are you doing? It's like, I don't know where we are. That's it. I've just given in. Literally, we're lost. I don't know where we are. We're not going to get home. We're stuck in the middle of France. I don't know what to do. And they can just go around me for all I care. Go on, on your bike. I'm going to sit here until someone comes to get me. I'd love to say I got out of the way, but no. Even with serious dragging didn't work. The cyclist started to try and go around me. The car started to bib its horn. People started to shout things. I didn't know what they were saying. A couple of them even fell off. (laughs) Not my proudest moment. And they finally passed round us and moved on up the road. And I was still sat there. I wasn't even looking at the map. It was in front of me, but I didn't even bother. And I was just so despondent. I had no idea where we were. This is where you really want somebody to say something that's really going to lift your spirits. Now, I wish I could remember which one of my friends said it. But someone piped up. Maybe we should have gone left, not right. You tell me now, after three hours, I was not a happy man at this point. So the sulky teenager, what did he do? He grabbed his bag, he grabbed his map, and he stormed off. And literally, I started to trudge back up the hill. I just hated being there. The idea that I just led that group into nowhere and that I couldn't give them any answers. It was horrible. And I remember trudging back up the hill. And when we were we were once a group coming down the hill, going back up. We were walking like two metres apart, just looking at the floor, hoping for something to happen. After about an hour of going back up the mountain, I got a call from behind me to stop and to turn around, and I will never forget this sight. There was a lad who was 12 called Lee Hazel. Lee Hazel, he was not a scout, nor were the rest of us, to be fair, but out of, the, out of all of us, he was the least like a scout that there was. Very short, very round, And he sat on the floor and he was crying. And that moment when you see that, it just kills you. This person that you're responsible for, that you're supposed to be looking out for. And he was just sat on the floor crying. What could I tell him? We may be five miles from where we should be. Maybe 15. I didn't know where we were. I'll go and get, I couldn't tell him anything. And so our troop just sat down, our little patrol sat down around him on the floor while he cried. And we had nothing to say other than put a hand on his shoulder. I felt awful. Where had I led them? Nowhere. And we knew there's nothing that we could say. And you know what the, the thing that really got me was? It wasn't that we was lost that made him cry. It was the fact that it was starting to get dark. I felt horrible. And we just sat there. And we sat there for about half an hour, just not knowing what to say. And this car came down the road, these headlights, and they stopped right in front of us. And literally, Lee stopped crying, and we looked at the car. And out stepped this car was our scout leader, laughing at us. I was like, that's really helpful. We've got a lad on the floor crying. None of us know we are in the middle of a country. And he got out laughing, and he invited us back into his car. And we literally, we jumped up, and we landed in the back seat of his car. And it was like the whole trauma of it had just been lifted, and we started to laugh and joke about where we were. And I showed him the map, and I asked him where we were. And he said, you're not on your map anymore. You're on a brand new one. <laughs> I asked him how he found out where we were. And by coincidence, he was in a pub that afternoon watching Eurosport, in which there was a news report about the fact that we'd disturbed this bicycle race. And he rang the station and they directed him. (laughs) 
I'm a much better map reader now. But being lost can be a really, truly terrifying experience. And the Bible deals with this idea of being lost quite a lot. Now, obviously, you want to know what lost means. You go to Google, you type in define and your word, and it will give you everything that you need. So the oracle that is Google tells me that lost is either one of two things. It's the first one, unable to find your way. Second one, not knowing your whereabouts. I really didn't know my whereabouts in France. And God really challenged me to speak on this, on being lost and not knowing your whereabouts. As humans, we're, we're made, we're designed to be in relationship with God. Our surroundings, our natural surroundings are one that's naturally one with God. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. And the words, in his own image, they're really important here. This means that we have a likeness to God. That we can have a relationship with him because we are like his image. And then that look at that word relationship and it means connection. And you look at the word connection, it means being linked together with something. When we're with God, we're not just with him, next to him, we're connected to him. We're in relationship with him. But then you look further at Genesis and the apple was eaten from the tree of knowledge and Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden and their connection with God suddenly became lost. Their relationship was lost. They didn't know where they were. They didn't understand their whereabouts because they were away from where God had made them to be. Adam and Eve became lost. So what you could say then is being lost is about your proximity to God, your closeness to God. The further we are from God, the more lost we can become. And I think this is why Jesus can use the word lost to describe us when we're without God. You look at the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. Jesus tells a parable of two sons. One of them wants his inheritance early, and so he demands it from his father. So the father gives it to the son who then leaves the farm and goes off to live his life with his inheritance while the other one stays at home. He spends his inheritance very quickly doing whatever he wants to do out there. And very soon he realizes what he's done and he wants to go home. But he can't. Something stops him and he says, I can't go home as a slave. He asked for my inheritance. So I'll go home and ask to be a slave. So off he goes. But when he returns home, the father rushes out to meet him. And he doesn't greet him as a slave, but his son again. And he calls a massive celebration in the house for the return of his son. And the other son is completely enraged by it and won't even join the party and questions the father. However, the father answers the son so succinctly in Luke 15 verses 31 and 32. He says, his father said to him, look dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now he's found. And there's that word, he's lost, but now he's found. Why did the father use this language of lost? In terms of location, the son wasn't lost. The son knew where he was. So why does the father use it? It's all about proximity to the father. Being where he belonged. The son belonged at home with his father. And when he wasn't there, he was lost. But when he came back, where he belonged, he was found. And that's the same with God. 
when we're away with God. We might know where we are physically, but spiritually we can be lost. But when we come back to God, we become found. Now, I'm not going to make any assumptions where you are this evening. You might be sitting there thinking you're a Christian this evening. You might be sitting there thinking, well, no way I'm into any of this Christian stuff. And you might be somewhere in between. You might be sitting there knowing, I'm not with God, but there's no way that I'm lost. You might be sitting there thinking you've got life, you've got love, you've got success, you've got family. But whether you've got those things or not, God's still looking for you. God is active in finding each and every one of us. And you might be sitting there going, well, I'm a Christian and that means that I'm found. I urge you, no matter where you are in this room, to stick with me because God has something for every one of us. I think all too often, Christians can use the term lost really easily to describe people that aren't Christians. But what I'm suggesting is it's not about that. Any time any of us stray from our Father... We could use that term lost. Any one of us. We only become found when we return to the Father. So I started to look around the Bible to see what the the Bible said about these things. And I was drawn to Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the Bible. And it doesn't actually say who wrote Psalm 119. But you look at some commentaries on it and people seem to suggest that King David wrote it because it's written in a very similar style to all the other Psalms. And Psalm 119, verse 176, verse 176, I said it was long. It actually says, I've wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. King David was known for his closeness and relationship to God. And yet, he admits, his one, he admits that he's wandered away like a lost sheep. His proximity, his closeness to God, decreases. And so he starts to become like a lost sheep. Is he still a follower of God? Well, of course he is. But his actions, his thoughts, they lead him away. And so he pleads with God to come and find him. You may be sitting there this morning, and this evening, sorry, this morning. Oh, it's that church situation, isn't it? But you might be sitting there, prompted already, thinking, am I lost? What am I doing? What am I going to do? But don't despair, because God is still searching for each and every one of us, because God never stops wanting us to be at home with him. Never. That thing that makes us whole again, that connection with God, that's the thing that God is craving all the time. And he wants you more than anything. Sometimes we feel there's a gap between us and God. And sometimes we feel there's a distance. And this isn't just, it's so easy to say that it's people who aren't Christians and people that, aren't, that haven't got a relationship with God. But actually all of us can feel that sometimes, that hole. And so what do we do? We start to do things to fill these gaps. Shopping. TV. I'm a big one with TV. Eating. Drink, sex, alcohol, whatever you do is something that fills your gap. What do I find myself doing when I'm feeling a little empty or low and I've had a rough day? My first action is I come home and I tell Liz that she's not cooking, I'm not cooking and I'm going to buy a Chinese this evening. That's my first reaction. What do we use to fill our voids and make us feel better? Do we go off and buy some shoes? Do we use sex or pornography to make us feel something? Do we drink or take drugs to hide from what we're feeling? Or do we sit in front of the TV, desperately trying to avoid 
in that connects us with our day. We do those things instead of turning to God. I do those things instead of turning to God. Instead of coming home where I belong. Some people don't do any of these things, but instead they fill their days with doing good works. And I'm not saying don't do good works. But what I'm saying is do good works with God in relationship with God. He wants to do them with you. We miss sometimes with God that connection. We spend our lives trying to do things that we think that's going to please him or things that are going to take our mind off things, but actually it's the connection with God that sometimes we can miss. The relationship that we've come to, come to Christ for in the first place. If we turn to God in those moments when we're scared, when we're alone, when we're isolated, when we're angry or when we're frustrated, our proximity to God will increase. We get closer to him. That gap can lessen. We can start to feel more whole and it's such a challenging thing to do when you're feeling that way. John, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and live it to the full. And that's what we get with life, with God. We get life and we can live it to the full. When we put ourselves in charge, we can distract ourselves with loads of other things. When we put God in the center, that thing that gives us life, our relationship, our connection, the thing we're designed for, that gap gets smaller. And we feel found. This evening, you might not be a Christian. You might be sitting there saying you haven't made a decision to live for God. I urge you, oh, I'm completely going. Can I? Can I? Oh, is it going to go on? Yes, it is. Can I urge you, if you're not a Christian, just look at the surroundings of your life. Does it make sense? Do things make sense? Do you feel like there's something missing? Do you feel like you're doing something that just doesn't feel right? Because if you're not a Christian, God is searching for you. He wants to be with you and he wants to be in relationship with you because he loves you. He wants you to be where you belong, at home with him. And he knows that there's stuff that gets in the way of that. And that's the whole thing of why Jesus was sent in the first place. He knew so much that the world and things can get in the way of a relationship. So what did he do? He sent his son to die on the cross for us so things didn't have to get in the way so that we can have that relationship with him John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life just as we keep going think about it what is going on in your life at the moment what opportunities are you letting pass what opportunities are you taking And if you're not a Christian and you think for one minute that any of this might be true, don't wait. (laughs) Please. God is searching for you and he wants you to come home. Surrender yourself to Christ. Some of you might be sitting there going, well, this doesn't apply to me. I've already surrendered myself to Christ. So it doesn't matter. You'd already call yourselves a Christian. Think about the story about my patrol at the beginning. I led my group down a mountain. Now I knew I was lost. But did my patrol? No. 
They had complete faith that I was taking them somewhere. Any one of them could have asked me where they were. They could have looked at their surroundings and realized he's still going after three hours. He's lost. And if I was lost, they were lost too. My surroundings were completely unfamiliar to me. Their surroundings were completely unfamiliar to them. They just didn't know it because they didn't stop to look and ask the question. They just walked on blindly. And that's something that we can do as well sometimes, that we just walk on blindly. We come to church on Sunday and then we leave and we go and live our lives. And if we're in a life group, we go to that. We go back to work, we go back home, we do our day, we come back to church on Sunday and we get into a routine and we walk blindly. We don't stop and look at our surroundings. When you became a Christian, you became one with God. You became found. But yet you might have been journeying for so long and going in a direction that you haven't even taken stock of where you are now. You think you're still the same person you were when you first came to Christ. Is that the case? Where are you? How close are you to God right now? Are all areas of our lives open to God? Sometimes we're doing things and we think things and we say things and we don't even realise that these things are in fact taking us further away. We just used to say, well, that's just, that's just what I do. You might not even feel it. This evening, stop and look at your surroundings. What conversations are you having? What are you doing with your day? What are you doing with your nights? Use this time this evening to ask God to speak into your heart and say, where am I? God, search me. Reveal to me where I am. Don't be like my patrol that just keeps walking. Stop and look and ask God to reveal these things to you. But I also think that there's a third... And final group that God's speaking to. And they may be just like me in the story. You might know that, yes, you made a, uh, a commitment to Christ, but you've been walking away for a while. It might be in your whole spiritual life, or it might just be in some areas. And you know that there's some things that you're doing, and you actively know these things are taking you away. God's saying he wants you home. Admit you're lost. Turn around. And that's quite a scary thing to do. To admit that you need God. To admit that you know that there's things that you're saying, doing, thinking that are taking you further away and that you've been doing them knowingly, but to stop and say, God, no more. I want to come home. And God's standing there to welcome you. By only admitting that we're lost, can we ever be found? If you think about two people in a car when they're trying to drive somewhere and they get into an argument because one of them says that they're lost. I'm not going to say it's always the map reader that's right because I've learned otherwise. That car can only ever go the right way when both people admit that they're lost and they're going to work together to move forwards. 
by only admitting that we're lost can we be found. So when you're looking at your surroundings, have a think about it. Because God is calling out to each and every one of us. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is calling out, here I am. He's standing at the door again and knocking. Admit that there's things that you didn't want him to know about. He already knows. And invite him back in. And that's a courageous and deep thing to do. But that's what God wants. He wants you home with him where you belong, where it's safe. The team are just going to come back up and they're going to play a song. And um, literally we're just going to take this time to just sit and invite God into our hearts to search us. Listen to the words and ask God to speak into you. Where are you? Take this as an opportunity to look at your surroundings. God, thank you that you want a relationship with us. That you love us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross so that we could be with you. Thank you for just loving us more than anything that we could even comprehend and imagine. And thank you that you want us at home with you. God, this evening, be with us. Help us to get closer to you as we reach out for you. In your name we pray these things.